Today on the podcast, I welcome my friend April Corbett. She is one of the most talented people I have ever met in so many ways. But today we're really going to drill down and we're going to have a conversation about race and how it's impacted her in her life as a woman of color. She brings such a fresh perspective to this, and I have learned so much from April in the conversations that we've had. So I am so thrilled for you to get to hear this as well. You're listening to the Connect the Dots podcast with me, Heather Balseric. This show is designed to help you navigate your career, understand your customer's experience, and bring us together as we learn more about our communities. So tune in, turn it up, and get ready to connect the dots. Well, hello, April. Hello. Good morning. Good morning. It's so good to see you. You too. <laughs> so Thanks for having me. Yes, I'm super excited to have you with me. Um, it's been, and we met back in November um, at Blistem, and then we've we've talked back and forth on Instagram. We had a, a really good conversation a couple of weeks ago, and that's um, really what prompted me to, I mean, I wanted to have you on the podcast before, but our conversation a couple of weeks ago is really something that I was like, I got to get this. I've got to let people hear what we talked about because it was just, it was very eye opening for me. And with the state of everything that's going on in the U S from coronavirus to uh, civil unrest and the, just the, the whole, you know, Gosh, there's so many words I could use, uh, but just everything that's happening uh, in in the world, and it's, but especially here in the U.S., it's it's an important conversation for us to have. Um, and I'll get into kind of why I reached out to you here in a minute. But I want first, before we get into that, I want people to know who you are because you're amazing, and I just just in awe of all the things that you do. And so I'm going to let you introduce yourself uh, to everybody. Thank you. Um, I am April Corbett. I am engineer by day, everything else by uh, by night. I am the owner of Upstate Mississippi, which is a planning and productivity business. And through my business, I teach people how to use their planners, how to be more productive in life, how to do all the things in life that you want to do from art to building a business to doing everything. And so, yeah, the, the last few years I have been primarily focused on um, teaching art classes through organizations here locally and also teaching uh, business classes. I'm a facilitator for a um, 10 week business program. And so I've been doing that for a few years and coaching people in building their business. I truly believe that we are in a time, especially now with the, with the tornado of things going on, we're in a time in life where it's no longer satisfying or good enough to just do one thing and be one thing. I think you should go out and be and do all the things that bring you joy. And so I teach people to go out and find that. I love that. See, this is, this is one of the reasons that when I first met you, that I was like, just instantly drawn to your energy because you just, you, you have that, that energy about you that you, you care and you want to help people succeed and, and you just, your creativity is amazing. So, um, I will also, I don't know if you have any of your notebooks left, but, but everybody, she did this, um, 100 day journal project where she like decorated and like did these amazing journals and they're fantastic. And I bought several of them <laughs> because every day I was, Oh, but I like that one. Oh, but I like that one. And that was such a fun project. And I'm so glad this was the first year that I've ever done the 100 Day Project. Um, And if you've never heard of it, please look that up because um, so many artists and writers and, and just everybody, they do this 100 Day Project every year and it just forces you to... um, 
really pull from that creative side of you to to do something every day. I would say it establishes habits. I've never been one of those people, you know, they always say, oh, you do this 21 times, you get into the habit. That doesn't work for me. But um, it did help me, one, process through everything that's happening with us right now. I had already planned this project before we ended up in a work from home situation. And so this was the perfect project to help me process some of my emotions and feelings about everything that's going on. And then of course, with the social unrest, um, the last few days of the project were all dedicated to Black Lives Matter. Mm -hmm. And so um, it just really helped me put all of my emotion into something so that I could channel um, channel what I was feeling he- in a healthy manner and help me keep the anxiety down. Well, they're, they're beautiful. So I'll definitely put links to your, uh, to your shop in, in the show notes and all that. But, but speaking of, you know, you, you kind of touched on it. And so the, the civil unrest, the social unrest, all of the things that have been going on for the past several months, mm-hmm. um, you know, really, it's always been there, but it definitely like everything kind of sparked back up after George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and um, uh, a shot. Um, oh gosh, I'm gonna say his name wrong because I always do. Um, the 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 gentleman from Georgia um, was shot. Was shot. Uh, yeah. Ahmad Ahmad was shot. I was going to say his name wrong, but, um, but you know, it it really like that just kind of like put so much fuel in this fire and just, and all of it kind of came up and, Mm -hmm. and there were so many things going on on social media. And, you know, for me being white, being raised in the South, you know, I definitely was, was raised in, you know, I wasn't raised in a home where they were, you know, they weren't racist like mm-hmm. and I say that in in a term of like like there's a degree there's no degree of racism it's racist if it's racist <laughs> but but not it wasn't you know my parents had um black friends I had black friends but there were things that I knew in my family that would have been looked upon as wrong mm-hmm. right and so you know that that is the environment that I grew up in um now for me luckily i did have people in my family that were very uh kind of progressive <laughs> like different thinkers and and so influenced my my way of thinking of going well, i mean i just love people mm-hmm. and and i see the person for who they are doesn't matter to me um what you look like i just you know i appreciate everybody um, and I try to live that way. And unless you do something wrong to me, then I'm going <laughs> to attempt to, to, you know, have a good relationship with you. Um, but, it, but in all of that, that the way that I grew up, you know, I knew that I had things that I needed to learn. I had things that as a white woman that I didn't know. Right. And so um, being that I had met you and I knew just how strong you are. And I was like, you know, and I really respect you and I felt comfortable talking to you. I reached out and I was like, Hey, I want to have a conversation about race. I don't know what I don't know. Mm -hmm. I want to hear it from your perspective. Um, and so that kind of started this part of the conversation of, of getting us together and, and talking about it. Um, and you, when we had that conversation, you know, you gosh, you took me through so many things that just really just blew my mind and just really for probably for several weeks after that, like I replayed our conversation over and over and over because it just, it continued to help me grow. Right. Um, and so I'm so excited. I want to bring some of that stuff back, uh, that we talked about this last, you know, the last time we, that we spoke, cause I want everybody else to hear it. So one of the things that I remember you, you talking about when, when we had our conversation, um, is you talked about people, um, you, you, you would look at people's profiles and stuff and see how many, you know, you know, black or, you know, other colored, you know, people are on their profile that they follow. Mm-hmm. And you talked about, um, people seeing, you know, um, seeing a like somebody like, Oh, well I have a black friend, like they're an accessory. And I remember like that struck me so much. And so would you talk through that? Yes. Um, a little bit. 
So I, I started doing this because I started getting frustrated about what I would see on television. Um, and that's what kind of really sparked it all for me. I don't have cable now. I haven't had cable in years. But one of the reasons um, that it was easy for me to walk away from cable is because what I saw on TV was not reflective of my life. Um, I don't, you know, when we, when we say things are problematic for us in life, but yet we continue to produce art that's reflective of the problems. Like we'll say, um, like in this country right now, drug use is a really big deal. Well, if you look at most of the television shows, they, they so casually talk about drug use and so casually use drugs in these television shows. And I'm like, well, we, why, why were we wondering why it keeps happening in real life when we keep putting it in all of our television shows? The same thing about being divided by color. We see things on TV, you know, everybody likes to point at Friends, you know, it's such an iconic television show, such a good television show. Um, and it had no Black friends. I think one of the, uh, the um, David Schwimmer, uh, when they finally got to casting his girlfriend at one point, he requested a um, person of color has his girlfriend, I think is how she, Aisha Tyler, ended up on the show. Um, and but so many television shows still only show black people as accessories. They're either that coworker, that neighbor, that you know, um, somebody serving you food, and it's not a actual friend. It's not somebody that's coming over all the time and being a part of your life, and that gets really depressing. And then when when you know we have these. Um, movements like Oscars So White and, and we say, hey, there's not enough people of color in these movies. Well, what do they do? go back and do? They try to go back and make a period piece. And in a period piece, the Black people are typically slaves or servants or all this other stuff. And it's like, well, why can't we just, you know, why can't we be in the, the silly rom-coms? Why can't we be in the fantasy television shows and all of that. Why can't it be that way? Um, and even when you see things like, oh, what was the movie? Hunger Games. When Hunger, Game, Hunger Games came out and one of the characters, Rue, was cast as a Black girl, you would have thought the, the, the casting agents like just committed the biggest sin. There was such an uproar about this fictional character being black even the little mermaid when the little mermaid was recently recast and um the young lady Haley, i think is her name was cast that a, a lot of people were complaining and saying well she's not my mermaid she shouldn't be black as if a mermaid needs to have an assigned color but all of this led me to really looking at, you know, is this how people live in their real life? Are you really living your life with no black and brown people? Are the only black people you meet accessories in your life? So I really started paying attention to the people that I follow on social media. And I, I look at the pictures that they post um, of themselves when they have their birthday parties, when they have those significant times in their lives, um, when their kids are having their birthday parties. I pay attention to those pictures and I want to see, are you... Is this really what your life looks like? Is what I see on television reflective of the life that I see you posted on social media? And I'm sad to say for, for a great percentage of people, it is. They don't have any Black friends. They don't, their kids aren't hanging around with, with kids of, of, of different races. And it's so sad because we should be, you know, we're supposed to be in this great melting pot. We're supposed to be blending and merging and really learning to live together, but we still live separate. We still worship separate. We still do everything separate. And 
it it really gets depressing and it even gets to that point with with me with some of my friends because i'm often the only black person that's invited to uh, to an event sometimes and um it's like okay i've known you for years now we can branch out and meet, <laughs> meet another black person now it's okay i don't need to be the only one but so many times i still am and it's been like that for you know a lot of my life from from college to working um i'm often the only uh black person in the room the only black woman in a room and i don't want life to be like that anymore and so i'm really trying to challenge the people that i know to stop living their lives in these little color bubbles and really branch out and make sure that people of other races are more than just accessories in your life oh it's still and it hits me just like it did the first time that you said that like it just it just, it cuts me like so deep, like, cause I, and, you know, and I, cause I think about my life and I think of, you know, so, and I'm like, I do this evaluation like of me. Right. Mm-hmm. And so for me, and I kind of have to, part of it's hard because a majority of my life, I mean, even though right now everybody is working from home, my job is, has been work from home for five years. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, my work, my work group is all over the U S so like, I don't hang out with them on the weekends and right you know so for me it's like I got to think about you know how, you know the people that I know in in real life where I am and unfortunately like I don't I, I number one I don't have a huge population of people that I hang out with here mm-hmm. <laughs> in, in general but but my circle isn't very diverse right um and so you know I think about that and I go okay so how can I make it better? How, how can I reach out? How can I be a, how can I be a, uh, you know, a branch or just not even a branch? Like, how can I just be a friend? How can right. I, you know, how can I expand my circle and, and, and be a better friend, um, and be, uh, participating. That even sounds bad when I say it that way. Like I just, how can I be a better person? Yeah. It does take on a, a certain feeling when you, when you realize that, that when it, when it's not naturally there, you have to go enforce it, enforce the issue. But, you know, that's just where we are um, in life. That's why we have um, some of the rules and regulations about diversity in our workplaces until it becomes more natural, we, we have to force it to happen. Mm-hmm. We have to go out and actively seek it. We have to actively make things different until it does become that habit after you've done it for a while. And so it can feel unnatural to force it, um, but we've got we've to do it. We've got to um break through these systems that we have in our life and this this is where i've had a a few conversations with people about even systemic racism and people not understanding what it means for racism to be systemic because i've spoken to a few people and they'll say well i'm not racist i didn't intentionally they moved to a neighborhood that didn't have any people of color. It's like, well, that's the thing about systemic racism. It happens so that you don't have to actively participate in it. It's built into the system. It's baked into the system. When I was originally looking for my house um, here in Chattanooga, the first realtor that I hired was a white woman. And at the time I did not know what area of the city I wanted to live in. And so I asked her to send me houses from every neighborhood, every area, because I wasn't sure where I wanted to live. I wanted to see houses all over. And um, what I started to notice was that she was only sending me listings from black neighborhoods. She, she specifically pulled only, and I was like, 
but then I would go be driving around and I would see a house and I'm like, okay, why was this house not in my listings? It's because it was an area that really didn't have a lot of diversity. And so eventually I had to get, I had to let her go. Now I did still end up going with another white woman as my realtor, but when I expressed to her what I needed, she did everything that I said. And so, um, and I make sure I point out to people that these are both white women, but there are some people that actively participate in keeping us separate. It's built into the system. So when some of these neighborhoods pop up, the realtors um, have this thought in their head that, oh, black people will want to be around black people, so I should only send them black listings. Or they'll say, these white people don't want black people in their neighborhoods, so I won't send listings to black people for this neighborhood. They participate in making it part of the system. Um, um, the lenders for money. It's, it's so hard for a lot of Black people to get lending for, um, for houses. And um, even that is still, a lot of people don't understand how that works or why it works. Lending and, and, and borrowing money is, is so difficult at times. And so just the process of borrowing money keeps us out of certain neighborhoods. Um, even the the price point for the houses already keeps us out of certain neighborhoods. And so it's built into the system. So the individual people that move into that neighborhood don't have to say, I'm racist. I'm racist. They don't have to um, actively even think about it because the system already took care of it for them. The system already made sure you weren't going to live next to any Black people. Um, so you're okay. You're protected. You're in the bubble. And a lot of people stay in that bubble and they never realize that the system took care of it for them. And then they have that plausible deniability. I'm not racist. Well, no, you don't have to be. It's, it's baked in. It's baked in. And so just getting more people to understanding that and to seeing that, I think will help um, the situation. And it's so hard, even for me, it's so hard to explain it to people because I've been in that situation so many times where um, um, I, I get the, the line when I say the diversity is not enough. The response too many times is, but we have you. It you know it's it's always but we have you so you know how can you complain about no diversity when you're here and you know how you know you you've made it you have a house you have this you have and people and and they diminish what I'm the they diminish they diminish our complaint because oh one person has made it. How many times do we have to hear now that we have no color issues in this country because we had a black president? Like letting one in the door does not fix the issues. And it's so hard to get people to understand that and see that. And as painful as it is to be going through this time, it's so painful to open the news and and run the risk of seeing another black person dying in the street unnecessarily over nothing over nothing we we do things to certain bodies because we start to feel like it's okay and they're less than human or they're less than so it's okay they must have done something wrong they must have done, you know, there's always some excuse, but it's so painful to continue to see that and to continue to um, want to educate people about it because it gets, it does get to be repetitive and depressing, but we're in this time where because of the pandemic, people can't move. They can't move and 
it's forcing them to see and it's forcing people to reckon with these feelings that is so easy to just keep moving in life and forget about it. Well, you can't move right now. So yeah. it's right in your face. So as painful as it is for us to live through this and to see it all the time, this is like this perfect storm of of events and timing that let's get it out there. Let's talk about this. Let's let's process this and truly figure out how to get past it in a healthy way. And I'm hoping by continuing to have these conversations that um, that we can get some change. Yeah. We can truly get to this equitable point where, you know, we're equal and we have true equity in everything. I would, I would like to believe that we're heading to that now. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm not certainly, and I, I really hope so. I mean, I, you know, I, um, I work for a company that is, that really does pride themselves on diversity and inclusion. And I am incredibly thankful for that. Mm-hmm. But there are still times where I sit in a meeting and I, and because it, it never fails. I mean, we're all, now that we're all working from home, right? We, we did meetings virtually anyway, but yep. now I go into a meeting and now I look. Mm-hmm. And I go, cause everybody's in their little square. And I think, how are we, you know, do we, do we have the voices that we need to hear in this room? Because you said something last time we talked, but it was another one of those things that like, just in my head, I was like, wow, like, I can't believe it. It was the, um, we don't have to be diverse. We have diversity of thought. Oh, that oh yes. Oh, <laughs> yes. I, I loathe. I absolutely loathe that statement. And that that statement is used so many times. Uh, you know, when I question why we don't have more diversity in certain workplaces, that's the first thing that will come out. The excuses about, oh, well, uh, we didn't have the applicant pool. And um because we didn't have the applicant pool, we've tried to make sure we have diversity of thought. And I really pay attention when people, when people tell me that I pay attention to what, what do you mean when you say diversity of thought, you know, in a perfect world, we would say, yes, we couldn't just say I was building a team of people and I happened to have all black people. But if I truly had diversity of thought, I would make sure those Black people came from different areas. Maybe somebody was raised in more of a urban environment. Uh, Maybe somebody was raised uh, more suburban where they had more uh, white influence. Um, You know, different, different things. Maybe somebody traveled a lot and so they've seen different cultures and they embrace different cultures. Um, you know, there, there's, there's ways to bring people together where every, you're not going to have group think. Everybody's not going to think the same. And so that, that is what the ideal definition of diversity of thought would be. But what typically happens, especially here in Chattanooga, I love Chattanooga. I absolutely adore Chattanooga. But some of the people in Chattanooga kind of frustrate me, especially with this uh, the 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 neighborhood distinctions that we like to hold on to in Chattanooga. And um, I once went to a church, and I love this church. I started going to this church because they were doing forty days purpose. And then I kept going to the church because it has all these wonderful classes that they were offering. And it was a predominantly white church. And so there were maybe three or four black members at the time. Um, So much so that every time I walked into the church, I was automatically labeled as a guest because that's, you know, that was just how uncommon it was for them. But uh, (laughs) I started attending this Sunday school class, which was a fantastic Sunday school class, but it was mostly um, older white couples. 
um, there were a couple of the women in there who either were divorced or a husband had died. And you would, you would have thought with the way that the rest of the class treated them, that they were the most pitiful people in the world. It was amazing. But that, that, and I remember being in that class one day and the leader of the class at the time, he talked about how much diversity, he was so proud of the diversity that the class had. And I was looking around like, he, uh, he, surely he's not talking about me. Surely he's not, he's not about to point out that we got April now. And so that's our diversity. His definition of diversity was some of us live on the mountain and some of us live in the valley. So basically some of us have money and some of us don't. That was his idea of diversity. And I was just like, wow. That's what y'all see is diversity. Y'all think that's diverse? Like just because some of you happen to have less money than the others. And some of it was just by circumstance. Like one of the ladies was divorced. And so she didn't have a husband that was like, like the other couples in there. She didn't have a husband that was there making money. Uh, one woman, her husband had died. And so she had, um, inherited some money or gotten some some insurance money from his death um but that kind of put her in that middle tier and that's why i said they looked on them like they were the pitiful ones like oh you poor dear not having that husband's income i mean that's how they treated them but that's what they defined as their diversity and i just i just i just watch situations like that and i'm just like wow but then when the, the um, pastor at the time, when he tried to um, pull in, um, there was a Hispanic neighborhood close to the church. And that pastor was like, you know, these people are so close to us. They're right here in our backyard. They should be worshiping with us. Let us reach out to them and pull them into the church. Oh, you would have thought he was just so out of line. They refused. They refused to show up and and help uh, reach out to this neighborhood. And they just, they wanted to stay separate. They wanted to stay separate and um, have their false sense of what diversity means. You know, you don't have diversity when you can't even speak to a neighborhood that's one street away from you. That's not, that's not diversity. Um, but yeah, diversity of thought comes up so much. I even um, purposely, and, and because it gets difficult having these conversations in the workplace, I try to make sure I'm strategic about when and with whom I have these conversations. So I once um, targeted a manager who had hiring um, responsibility. Um, this manager has gone over to China and adopted a child. And so in my mind, if anybody is going to have a good grasp on diversity and making sure that the workplace is diverse, it's going to be him. Because he needs to have in his head that I am going to set up a workplace that my child is going to be comfortable in, that my child will want to work in. So when I wanted to have the diversity discussion, I made sure I had it with him because I knew maybe he's thinking about these things. Now, diversity of thought was his was his answers well we have diversity of thought and i remember looking at him like oh you poor guy like you're a child is going to feel so uncomfortable and and it made me start to question like are you what are we doing when we go in and adopt children from other cultures like what are we really doing are we really trying to make the world better for them or are we pulling them in as another accessory to our lives to make us feel good? What, what are we truly doing? Um, so yes, I watch people. I watch people's lives. I watch their, their words. I look at 
what they're truly building in their own life. And I'm sorry, diversity of thought just doesn't cover it. No, no. no. <laughs> I, I am in a hundred percent agreement with that. Um, you know, when I was growing, growing up in my career, I remember being in, um, being on a, I guess, a senior management team for this company. And I was the youngest person in the room, the only female in the room. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was all older, um, white gentlemen. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, so I think it like when we, when we talk about this, like I think about, I think about that, like, wow, like, you know, I, I, for me, I automatically felt like different and I was, I, and I was always looked at differently in the sense of like any tasks that anybody didn't want to do. Oh, she'll do it. Mm-hmm. She's mm-hmm. a girl. She's the newer person. <laughs> like, let's give her all that. But, but looking back at like, well, why didn't we have, why wasn't there other, other people represented? Why, why wasn't there uh, a person, a black person? a brown person like why wasn't there another co- you know color in there why weren't there more women in there mm-hmm. um and so I think about that a lot and you know I was grew up in a small town this was a very this was a a you know a locally owned business you know a lot of it was friends of friends and <laughs> you know close knit but it's you know looking at kind of what what is your area like what what are you how are you putting yourself in the community, who are you surrounding yourself with? There we go. Mm-hmm. There's the word. Yep. Um, so I know we're running, we're running close to our time, but I want to, you told me a story when we met last time about the, about in the workplace. So it was um, something with somebody that you worked with. And I hopefully you remember the story I'm talking about. He wasn't looking at you saying, well, because you're black, this, I'm doing this to you. It was very subtle that you felt it, but nobody else saw it. Yes. Um, I've had, I've had those situations where, um, (laughs) I was being harassed by a manager. Um, of course he would not call it that. Um, he has since lost his position and I've heard that he blames me for losing his position. Um, but he decided that, he didn't like me for whatever reason. And in the beginning, and this is, this is why I really want people to pay attention to what happens in their workplaces. Um, because a lot of times things happen and you, you really have got to sit and look at why. And I don't know why the things happened to me that did. Like I came to the conclusion that it really wasn't about me. Um, but it's so hard to, it's so hard to figure that out because so many times I've seen managers that want to hire certain people and they'll push somebody else out. I've seen all kinds of things, but this particular manager, when I first started working for him, um, he was, um, not my direct product manager. He was just the office manager. And, um, my product manager was in a different city and originally it started, um, she was a woman and, uh, it started, well, I'm getting complaints about you from your manager that you undermined her authority, that you, um, said something in a meeting that made her uncomfortable. I started getting all these complaints and I was like, what? And I was like, well, why doesn't she come to talk to me about it and the answer was always well she says you intimidate her so uh you need to stop doing whatever and I'm like I'm not doing anything and then you know she and I would have conversations she would never mention anything and I was like I don't know if I'm I don't know what I'm doing I don't know what what's going on this went on for probably a couple months and one day I woke up and I said April what if it's not true? What if it's, what if it's not true? What, what if they are doing this to get you to respond in a way that makes it easy to fire you? What if none of it's true? So that morning I got to work and I called her 
and I asked her, could we have a conversation? And I outlined for her all of the things that were said to me on her behalf. You know, every complaint that she had about me, you know, all of the, the feedback that I was getting. And she said, April, I didn't say any of that. And that was my first lesson is always when you hear some comment, always go back and talk to the person that this comment was on behalf of, you know, regardless of how uncomfortable the situation is, go back and talk to the person. Um, so I found out that they were, I don't know what their intent was in doing this. It was, it was a couple of managers that were in together doing this, um, but once she and I had that conversation, she and I got close. And even when she um, came to the Christmas party and they saw us talking and laughing together, it was like, oh, that won't work anymore. We've got to find something else. And so then um, everything that I did, this manager would try to find fault with to the point where I got to the, I got to the point where I started seeing what he was doing and I would not go to his office alone. I would always take somebody with me because everything became a, um, he said, she said. And of course him being the manager, his word is going to hold more weight. You know, if he says that I said something or did something inappropriate, it's his word against mine. And so I started taking my direct supervisor into his office with me all the time and I made sure I was never alone always had a witness somebody else could say no she didn't do anything wrong she did everything she was supposed to do he started he got he got he got whiff of that real quick he realized that he would never see me alone and so he would wait until my man my supervisor he would wait until my supervisor left the office and then he would come to my desk and he would seek me out in times when I didn't have that buffer. And it got so uncomfortable that I was just like, I cannot, I cannot do this anymore. And the last major conversation I had with him, the, the mandate came out that all of these engineers, you shall work 60 hours a week and 20 of it will be for free. And I had already been to a couple of doctor's appointments that week because my anxiety was going up and it was it was it was such an uncomfortable workplace for me that my health was starting to be impacted. And once again I had gone to a doctor's appointment that day, come back to the office. So it's 7 p.m. Normally at that time, if I have to be there, um, it's one or two of us in there, but typically not a lot of us. But here he comes to my desk at seven o'clock and um, I forget what he was even talking about. And I was going to be on vacation the following week. And I told him, I said, well, you know, I'm off Friday because I'm going on vacation. And I said, I had a doctor's appointment today. Um, I have, I, I had another doctor's appointment set up for that week. I said, so I won't be able to work the required number of hours. I, I cannot work overtime this week. He asked for a piece of paper and he proceeded to demonstrate to me by calculating out my hours that if I worked 18 hours a day, I can meet company expectations. <laughs> and I said, I said, well, I said, um, I'll, I've already been to a doctor's appointment this week. Um, I said, I have another, I don't want to end up crazy. I said, do I need to bring you a doctor's excuse for why I cannot work this many hours? He gets upset with me and says, well, you just might need that and storms off. I immediately leave the office. I called my supervisor on the way home. And I said, this man just told me I should work 18 hours a day to meet company expectations. Of course, my supervisor, you know, he's the buffer in between us. So he gets upset. And um, <laughs> the next day he comes to work, just upset. 
but he's fighting on my behalf. You know, that's, that's one of the things about being a middle manager. You support the people above you, you protect the people below you. And he was good at protecting his employees. But then um, I got questioned later in the week, well, why did you tell him I told you to work 18 hours a day? And I said, because you did. The response was, well, your, um, your uh, recollection can't be trusted, was the response. I said, okay, that was, that was when I made the decision. I'm not coming back. When I come back from my vacation, I'm not coming back. And it, originally I was going to make a plan and save some money and do this over time. But on the flight to Kansas City, every time I even thought about going back to work, it, it was like I was starting to have panic attacks. And I knew I can't go back. And so before I allowed myself to even enjoy that vacation, I checked into my hotel. I called an Uber and I went to Best Buy because I did not bring a computer or anything with me. All I had was my cell phone. I went to Best Buy, bought a Bluetooth keyboard, and I sat in my hotel room and typed out my resignation letter. And, um, and then I went and enjoyed my vacation. When I returned to work, um, the next Monday morning, um, I cleaned my desk, grabbed my computer, went and sat down with my supervisor and did my final timesheet and all of my turnover with him, turned over all of my projects and I asked him to walk me out. And I left and I did not turn back. And uh, HR called. By the time I got home and was driving in my garage, HR was calling to find out what happened. But there are going to be times in our life when things happened. And even when HR called, they wanted to know why was this so sudden? And I was like, this is not sudden. I had gone to HR and told HR what he was doing. I had gone to his manager and had a discussion about what he was doing. Um, none of this was happening in a bubble. It was happening quietly. Like a lot of my coworkers in the office didn't know what was going on, but it was not in a bubble. It wasn't something that I made a big stink about in the office because I don't want the workplace to be uncomfortable for everybody. So this was my little thing that I was trying to deal with. I pulled my supervisory in, I pulled in other people as needed to um, handle it, but it was still happening. He would still find other ways to professionally harass me. And that happens to so many people in the workplace. So many things are happening that we're not aware of and when people talk about it, because, because we're not aware of it, a lot of times that person isn't believed or their, their accounting of the situation is diminished in some fashion. And so many times what happens is that person gets driven out of the workplace over these issues. So I chose to leave. I had tried to fight it through HR. I tried to fight it through the management structure. They were not offering me help. And so my only course of action was to walk away. And more than anything, I want people to always understand that you have options. The options that you have may not be the easy ones at the time. Um, it may not um, be the best for you know you financially at the time, but you have to pay attention to your health. You have to pay attention to your well-being. And when it's time to walk away, you have to walk away. You have a choice in this. You have a choice. And if you've done everything that you're supposed to do as an employee, it will get noticed by others. There will, there will be other people that stand up and fight on your behalf, um, even if it has to happen without you being there. So the only way for me to get that workplace to change was to walk away. And 
I was willing to do that, not only for my sanity, but for that workplace to truly become better. Um, and I'm happy to say they did take action after I was gone. End of the day, take care of yourself. Take care of yourself. Always have an eye on your health and what is important to you. And be ready to walk away when it doesn't align with who you are and what you believe. Oh, love it. And I, and I know that that story didn't, you know, didn't, isn't exactly the same thing as we were talking about, but I think that there is, there is a good parallel there, right? Because maybe it's not um, harassment about, you know, hours worked or like, like he was, like he was doing that, but maybe it is, you know, maybe there are other things that are impacting it. Maybe it is, it is your race. Maybe it is your sex. Maybe it is. And that's the thing is I can't, and that's what happens in so many cases. You can't prove it. You can't say, um, so I don't, I don't come out just like when I tell the story about, um, when I was looking for a house and who I hired, you know, eventually I hired another, um, white female realtor but it doesn't negate the fact that the previous realtor would only show me listings from black neighborhoods. We have people in our workplaces that are working to motives that we don't see, we don't understand, we may not be able to prove. And so could there be some racism there? Absolutely. Could there be some sexism there? Absolutely. Unfortunately, so many times it's done so subtly that you can't prove it. You can't prove what the motive was behind it. So that's why we have to we have to find a way to fight these things that you can um, hopefully tackle whatever the underlying issue was at the same time that you address the the biggest symptoms. But at the end of the day, it's it's unclear of what pe- people's motives are sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, even watching politics, I, I really pay attention to politics and not because I like to talk about politics. I've never been big on politics. I'd rather not talk about politics. But I do want people to pay attention to um, the president and what happens when an employee does not agree with him. What's happening on the larger national stage is no different than what happens every day in the workplace. He will take somebody that does not agree with him politically and then try to disparage the name of this person professionally. So all of a sudden, you as an employee don't agree with your boss on one little thing. All of a sudden that boss tells everybody you're a bad professional. That boss tells everybody that, oh, well, I've been wanting to fire this person for months. This was just a convenient time. That happens every day. That happens every day in our workplaces. That some little thing that we can't, quite put our finger on, whether it's politics, race, um, sex, we, we're not, you, you won't always know. Sometimes the issue is not about you at all, mm-hmm. but it's still going to happen to you. So we've got to get to a place where we're paying attention to what people are going through in our workplaces. We're, we're listening for those subtle um those subtleties of what's happening to them in our workplace because our culture, our workplace culture is very important. And so many things can hide beneath the surface of our culture. Just like, like you said, you were raised in the South. I too was raised in the South. And in a lot of cases we were raised with knowing the underlying issues about race, but we didn't actively act on them or live in accordance with them, but you know, they're always there underneath the surface. There are so many things underneath the surface, even in our workplaces. And when they bubble up, just like this social unrest is bubbling up, we have to pay attention. We have to pay attention and we have to take action because our culture can be better 
our culture can be different. We truly can have a combined culture while still respecting each other, but we won't have it if we don't start addressing these issues and paying attention. Mm. Oh, oh, gosh, April, <laughs> that just, oh, so, so here's, here's the takeaway, because I know like, we're, we're over time, and, um, but for, for me, it feels like everybody, there, there's two things that we can do. Mm-hmm. So personally, right, we can, we need to look at ourselves and, and, and really self, do, do an evaluation, is what, what am I doing to make sure that my actions, my words, my, um, you know, my the appearance of social circle, right? Like the things that I'm doing in life, am I being inclusive? Am I being diverse? Am I getting and supporting the people around me? Mm-hmm. Am I opening my mind to things that I don't know? Yes. Um, so, so there's some, there's some heart work in there for, for all of us to do. Absolutely. And then I think the second part is we need to make sure that when we look, especially in the workplace, be observant to how your workplace is relating to people of, yeah. of, of color, of different sex, of different orientation. Like be aware of that. Are they diverse in thought? Like they want to say, are they truly diverse? Yes. Um, and if they're not, how can you step in? How can you help bring that there? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and into that circle of whatever you're working on project or team or, or whatever. So um, I, I think that the, those are two things that we can do. We got some hard work to do. Um, and we got some work maybe in our, in where we, where we work. Absolutely. To, to look around and, and figure out how to help, help those things and, and to grow. Absolutely. Um, and that's what everybody looks at. You know, so many people are looking at the protests that are going on and everything. Everybody's not a protester. Everybody is not an active protester and that's okay. So it's okay that you're not out in the streets protesting. It's okay if you're not the loudest voice that's saying, look at this issue, because there are still some quiet, subtle things that need to be addressed that you can address every day. So never miss an opportunity to address those things when they come up in front of you. When somebody talks about another neighborhood and they say, oh, that neighborhood is bad, Question them on it. Why do you think that? Have you even ever been to this neighborhood? When somebody uh, questions somebody else in the workplace and, and questions whether or not they're a good fit because they happen to be from another culture, push back on that. Question them why. Why do you think that? Why do you believe that? Why do you think this person's education is less valuable than yours? Even so simple as the workplaces, I, I, hate to hear people when they say, oh, I don't want too many women around because they're going to fight with each other. I need you to question that workplace. Question that thought. Why do you believe that? I don't believe that whatsoever. Push back on all these little things that we hear, all these little things that we just let slide under the surface. The time for that is done. We need to stop letting things go by. Question everything. Question people's intent and make them explain to you why they believe a certain thing. We have to get to the root of why we believe these things. Mm. April, there's so much. I want to, so I'm just going to put this out there. Hopefully in the future we can meet again because I'd love to also talk with you about um, about the role of, about women, about yes. women in the workplace. Cause I know you work in a very male, uh, dominated field. Mm-hmm. Um, I previously, again, companies before I work now were very male dominated. Um, and so being a woman in those circles, I think that's a, that's another conversation that would be really good to have in the future. Um, absolutely. So conversation um, 2.0 coming yes. <laughs> Oh gosh, Ava, I could talk to you forever about all these things because I just, I respect you. I loved your, your thought process. You put things into words so much better than I do. <laughs> so, 
Um, but thank you again. I just I so appreciate you. I'm going to put links to all of your stuff in, uh, in the show notes. Um, and I hope that everybody goes and checks out your amazing art. Um, it just, it's truly beautiful. Um, I mean, I even framed your thank you card. So (laughs) because I just, I am in love with that picture. So, all right. So, um, April, thank you again. And, um, we will get together very, very soon. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Okay. Are you still there? I hope so. I know this podcast was really long and I'm going to wrap it up here in a second, but April gave us so many things to think about. So I encourage you to maybe go back and listen to parts of this episode. Please share the episode on social media. I would love to kind of continue this conversation and I definitely plan on having April back on the podcast very soon uh, so we can continue to dive into some of these conversations that we kind of just skim the surface of. But I hope that you are well And I want to just close us out as always, letting you know that you are loved and you are worthy and there are great things ahead for you in this life if you trust and believe in the Lord. Thank you so much for joining me today and we will see you next week. So to make sure that you don't miss out on next week's episode, please go ahead and hit that subscribe button so you get notified. Come on and join the conversation over on Instagram and follow me at Ms. Heather B. Dot or at Polka Dot Desk. We are here for you and look forward to bringing you more information about career, customers, and community. This podcast is brought to you by the